Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for your goodness to us. We thank you for this Wednesday night. Thank you for my church family, Lord. Thank you so much for them tonight. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us through Misty's redemption story. Speak to us things she might not even say, but that you would whisper by your spirit in our ears. Lord, we thank you so much for what you've done for Misty. We have seen a miracle, and we continue to see it, and we give you all the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Please welcome Misty Haggart to the stage. Thank you, Pastor. She's going to make me cry before I even get started. Okay. So welcome, everyone. Thank you that everyone that showed up to support me or ones that just came because it was Wednesday night. I'm so glad you're here. Love you too, Lydia, my beautiful child, her boyfriend, and my friend, Julie. Thank you for coming. And everyone, thank you. So my name is Misty Haggard, and this fall I will have 11 years clean and sober. Woohoo! Of all substances. So in AA, we say I'm an alcoholic. In NA, we say, I'm an addict. Celebrate recovery, we say, we're redeemed. But at Church of the Harvest, we say, the whosoever. So, I am the whosoever. So, Austin, can we have the first picture, please? I like pictures. I'm a picture person. If you ever come to my house, they're everywhere. I love the pictures. So, this funny picture, remember, you guys that are younger, this is from the 80s. So, you can see the plaid couch in the background and the matching, I guess that was polos, you know, with our coordinating colors. So, this is my mom and my dad and me and my little brother. And I was born in rural Kentucky to a coal miner and a woman that was my mom that was going through nursing school. And they come from very modest beginnings. Um, my grandmother was very much about education because she could not have any. I don't think she ever had a driver's license, nor did my grandfather. And ne neither did they make it, I think, was past the sixth grade. So my parents were very much about success and education and distancing yourself from poverty, which is great in and of itself. But sometimes I wonder, especially in America, if the success of that and the picture-perfect theme is a little bit beyond what God would have for us. So as you see, I have a picture frame over here. And this is to demonstrate that as a little girl, I might need a, a little bit. <laughs> I guess we could have brought it up a little bit. <laughs> so as a little girl, I knew that if I was just good and behaved and did what my parents said, I would click, click. Oh, you guys probably don't know what that is. Click, click's a camera. <laughs> Click, click, picture perfect, right? So I'm going to play with my doll. I'm going to do what my parents say. Click, click, picture perfect. Unfortunately, that's not always how it goes. Because we can try to be picture perfect all day long, but it doesn't do anything for what's on the inside. So not long after this, the coal mines went under. My dad joined the military, and off we were, traveling every two years, new schools, new friends, new homes. I still like change today. Ask my children and my husband. The pictures get moved, and Julie, because I tell her about it. The pictures and everything in the living room get taken out and redone probably about once a month, three months, <laughs> because I like change. I don't like anything that's sterile. I like to keep growing in God and the surroundings around me. So 
um, I was a military brat for several years, and then at a picnic after my parents' divorce, which I think sometimes with divorce we kind of forget because it's so common how painful it is. I've been blessed to have a wonderful husband, and he has made sure to be an example of not bad-mouthing the exes for the children's sake, so I won't be doing that here. Thank you, babe. He's always really good. We don't do that. It doesn't have any fruit to talk about how bad someone treated you or how awful of a person they are. It only hurts those that hear it. So um, there was a divorce, and it was a painful divorce, and my parents were very much about success and distancing themselves from poverty, and so they became workaholics. And most of the time, we were by ourselves with babysitters, but our parents were really not around except for to pick us up for maybe ballet, softball, baseball, volleyball, modeling, Girl Scouts, piano, violin, clarinet, Girl Scouts. Because I wanted the, let me get my frame, <sighs> to be picture perfect. And I can do the volleyball, and I can do the Girl Scouts, and I can have the trophy for horseback riding, because I'm going to be picture perfect, because I needed attention that I wasn't getting. So I was going to make sure that I got it one way or another. Next picture, please, Austin. And this is my parents. This is my mother and stepfather, and he was a major at this time at their wedding, which was a very nice affair. Um, my parents saved, and they made their own decorations, and it was a beautiful day. But after the wedding <laughs> and the vacation, then starts some major adjustment because my pops didn't know anything about kids. He never had kids. He's six years, six years younger than my mother, but he knew how to work soldiers. So we became soldiers. We had a two-page printed list of rules, which in the 90s, printing something, typing it up in your home was a big deal. <laughs> Nowadays, it's not a big deal, but this, this list was on the fridge, and it was two pages of every criteria that we had to meet on a daily basis. When we showered, when we ate, when we went to practice, when we could watch TV, when we could do homework, because that's what had worked for him. And whatever was going on with a single mom that was working two jobs, being a nurse, and me and my brother was not working. Um, <laughs> because we were tyrants, and we were left alone all the time. So you could imagine what happened. Yards were set on fire. Um, cars went in the creek. My brother put my aunt's brand-new Camry in the creek at one point. Um, I remember going to the gas station. My brother said he couldn't go in because he'd stolen cigarettes so many times at, like, I don't know, eight years old, that he wasn't allowed in the gas station anymore. So we definitely found things to do when my parents weren't around. And children that are left to their own devices, it's never a good thing. It's never a good thing. Okay, next picture, please. So fast forward to I graduate high school after laying out of school for six months because I'm going to show my parents that I don't have to do what they say. Um, then I moved to Kentucky because that's where my family and dad is. And I don't know what it is about divorced kids. Maybe some of you guys can relate to this, but you always want the greener grass. So if my mom is making me mind and has rules and punishments for me, then I want my dad because maybe he'll be fun. Maybe I won't have to listen. Maybe I'll have fun at his house. I'm going to go to my dad's because he really loves me. So that's what I did. I fled to Kentucky to go to school. I was in school, I was working full-time at Walmart, had my little apartment, met this gentleman, 
and he was everything my parents were not. He didn't finish high school, had no money, no training, no education, no means, no promise. He was just hanging out doing drugs. And I thought, that's the guy for me. <laughs> he is everything my parents loathe. So I love him. He pays attention to me. He comes into Walmart to talk to me. He's all ears every time I say something. He tells me I'm beautiful in my little blue Walmart vest. <laughs> so I thought, he's the guy for me. And he was just crazy over me and wanted to get married and have kids and, I don't know, live in a trailer. And if you live in a trailer, that's fine. But this was not a life that I felt like I could have. But anything that was the opposite, if he had said to live in a ditch with him or live on the street, it wouldn't matter. Now, I, there's some beautiful mobile homes. Many family and friends of mine have them. So it's nothing about that. I'm just casting, a, there's a big difference between half a million dollar homes and a mobile home. Vast difference. So every opposite way that I could go. But then I had my beautiful Megan 22 years ago. And I thought, we're going to do it different. I'm going to be the mother that my mom wasn't. I'm going to show her what she should have been doing. I'm going to show her. So I got silk pajamas from JCPenney. Me and Megan had matching outfits and a matching teddy bear. And we're going to do things right because I'm investing because these things matter. They did not matter to my mother. At least I felt like it didn't matter. So this was the start of more drugs. Because after um, the epidural had bitten my back, no one's pregnant, right? <laughs> I don't want to give any horror stories and someone go into labor and be thinking about this story. Um, epidural bent in my back because I uh, made it dilated to seven. Last minute call for pain meds. Said, okay, I'll take them. Bent over very big, having severe contractions, and they put the needle in, and it hits my foot, and I jump, and the needle bends in my back. So I can hear them back behind me, and they're worried, and he's telling me, why did you jump? Why did you do that? You can really hurt yourself. And I'm thinking, why is he getting on to me about a needle in my back? What's happening back there? Okay, and then they did another epidural, and by that time, the contractions have stopped, and they worry about both of our survival. So then eventually, they do a third epidural and take Megan by C-section. Later, I found out we could have both died. The doctor was later disbarred. But he also gave me lots of pain pills. You know, you have postmortem. Your body is nothing like it was when it was 19, 20. I was only 21 when I had her. I was lonely. We had married, and he didn't really have any way to make money, so my cousin had gave him a job putting in micro-optics something, cell phone stuff now that we all use. And he was away all the time. And so for months at a time, I wouldn't see my husband. But I had my friends. They would come over and smoke pot with me and do pills and hang out because they were my real friends, right? So we would hang out and do drugs and cook supper and take care of the babies. And I just thought, this is pretty good. I like this. Until I didn't. Until I had to have the pain pills or I was throwing up and sick and couldn't get out of bed. Or my house was always clean and tidy because, let me get my picture frame. Appearance is what really matters, right? Looking successful is what makes you successful. So if I dress my daughter in cute little outfits and I always look the part, then everything's okay. It doesn't matter the verbal or physical abuse or the drugs that are going on because it looks good. 
And I was really good at that game. It's still a struggle today. I have to remember, the focus is not the outside. It's me and Jesus. And that's just me being really honest. Dressing, looking the part's really easy for me. I have to remember why I'm put on earth is not to look good. So then my son came along after I met husband number two. I'm trying to make sure I use nice words. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I went, I went a little. Sorry, you can go back one, Austin. I'm sorry. So this was me and my adorable girl. I loved hanging out with her. We grew up together. I don't want to cry. <laughs> because I was just 21 when I had her, and I knew, like, nothing, even though I thought I knew everything because I had babysat, you know. And, was <laughs> and I, had, I was a registered babysitter. And so I thought I had this. And so we had a good time together because we grew up together. And so we were always together, inseparable, no matter what. I remember how much I cried when she went to kindergarten. <laughs> and she told me not to come in with her. <laughs> so I sat in the car and cried. Um, so next picture. So Kentucky blows up. It's a mess. There's police, SWAT. I end up on house arrest, jail for DUI, jail for PI jail for being with people I had no business being with. So my parents say, well, why don't we just get out of Kentucky and you come to Louisiana with us, and I'm sure that'll solve the problem. Just get away from this guy. Because clearly he's the problem, right? Because it's never you, although wherever I went, there was problems. When I was in Kentucky, when I was in Alaska, or when I went to high school, when I was in Louisiana, no matter where I was, there I was miserable, tornado, making a mess of everything around me. But I convinced myself I didn't have a problem. It was everyone around me. Now, granted, the people around me, I had no business being around because you become who you're with. That's why I love my church family. Because <laughs> you guys encourage me for greatness. But when you surround yourself with people that are doing drugs, it's not too long before you do drugs. If you surround yourself with people that don't want to work, that don't want to go to school, that want to hang out, you know, do things they shouldn't, have sex, have parties, whatever, that's going to be you. You can try to convince yourself that you're the evangelist and you're going to bring them all to God. I can tell you that's about 1% going to happen. <laughs> 1% going to happen. That's why it's so important in early recovery to protect yourself and put a guard around yourself and make sure you have church family. And if that means you stay at home, and don't leave your house because that's where you're safe and that's where you can say no, then that's what that means. So be careful who you hang around. So I hung around a guy, um, had some issues, addictions himself, different kinds of addictions, different kinds of tendencies. But I thought he had a beautiful home in the right place. Let me do my picture frame. Let's not forget because this is the theme of me. Beautiful home in Mandeville, Louisiana, the North Shore. Four bedroom, three bath, right next to the school everyone wants. He's a con artist, but he drives a nice car. And we're at Gulf Shores every other month. Nobody knows what really goes on. So this is Megan holding my son Malachi. And you can see my stepchildren in the back. So this is a new topic for me, so I'm going to try not to cry. <laughs> because I don't talk about him. Next picture. <laughs> so as we know, in recovery, there are things you don't get back. There are bridges you burn that can't be rebuilt. Now, God is a redeemer. And I stand on that with all I have in me. 
But that doesn't mean that you get 20 years that you dragged up back. That doesn't mean that people forgive you. That doesn't mean that you can just pick up where you left. You have to pay the consequences of your actions. It's been that way since the beginning of time. God's not going to change it. Since Adam and Eve, there's been deceit. There's been deceit that if you do the apple, which is more than God, you are loved not by God, but by the snake. The snake loves you. The snake has the secrets. They want to help you. They want to tell you things that you don't know about. Just like your parents. You want to do things that they don't know about, they don't understand. Because what do they know? Just like Adam and Eve. You know, the snake convinced that this tree of knowledge of good and evil is better than what you have with God. Little do they know they destroy all mankind. But in the moment, the snake is in the ear and you believe all the lies because it seems better than what you have. It seems more exciting. It seems that the people that you love, God that you love, is trying to keep something from you. You don't realize as parents what you do is protect. And that's what he was doing. So this is in Louisiana. This is Malachi and Megan. Next picture. Please, Austin. So a lot happens between this picture and the last picture. Pastor Rhonda didn't know I was going to show this. This is 2012, my graduation from the Hope House. I'm sorry, that'd be 2014 because it was graduation. So 2014 graduation from the Hope House. But like I said, a lot had happened between this picture and that picture. Um, where do I start? So early years were me on the side of the road when they had phone booths. In my pajamas, beat up high, with Megan on my hip calling my parents. Didn't change much 10 years later when I had Malachi. Same kind of deal, running back to my parents, escaping abusive relationships, cops bringing me to my parents with two kids now. So my parents got to a point when they said, we're going to intervene. They came and picked us up in Texas because we were on the run from the cops. My husband had, at the time had went to jail, and I was in a house with a few belongings, no car, no money, nothing. And so who do I call? My parents. Now, you could argue that there was some codependency there, but I will say, as much as I have to work on forgiveness with them, they were much like God to me because they never stopped loving me. They never stopped picking me up. They never stopped cleaning up my messes. So I came to Hope House and met Pastor Rhonda. And I remember the very first day we were studying Beauty for Ashes. And she looked at me and said, wow, you have beautiful eyelashes. <laughs> Eleven years later, that's what I remember. <laughs> no, seriously, it was a beautiful message of Beth Morris. Sometimes you have to burn off you all the mess to see the beauty and start again. So it was perfect God timing that I needed that message. And I'm so grateful because she shows me every day how to be a godly woman in the kingdom, which means if nobody knows here, which I'm sure we do because we're all family, you work your bottom off, <laughs> you serve, and you don't leave time for idle things and things that don't matter. You focus on Jesus and serving Jesus' people. And the funny thing about that is somewhere in that you forget your own mess. You forget the poor, pitiful me, I wish I had, I can't believe. All the thoughts because you're focused on helping someone else. 
when you feed the hungry, you forget that you don't like your shoes at home. And that's just kingdom principles. Next picture, Austin. Because this is the good stuff. This is the stuff I like talking about. The other stuff is sad. The other stuff is a little bit hard to discuss still after 11 years because it's still tender. It hurts. But this is, and for all the parents that have particles, or if you are a prodigal, you know it can be rough or have nieces and nephews that are prodigals. It takes time. There might be some mess-ups. There may be some, you know, relapses. There may be some times that they get up and get up and get up. I have my own issues. Just because it's not my drug of choice doesn't mean I don't have my own issues. But somehow, <laughs> this wonderful man of God said, I do to me. <laughs> uh, we do have a beautiful love story. And it was kind of strange tonight. I haven't been up here by myself in a while. It's, it's been me and him the last few times. But we have a beautiful love story that only God could have interweaved and, and mended together and put us together because we're such the absolute opposites. <laughs> I have never been creative and, how can I say, fun. We'll use the fun word. <laughs> because I was always made to behave and have the three C's, cool, calm, and collected. So if I act a little silly around you, that means I trust you because I can be me. And my husband and Pastor Rhonda, Courtney and Kristen, they have all seen my silly because I'm free to be me who God created. And that means making beautiful blankets, making beautiful stories in the kingdom, telling stories of God's redemption, helping others find redemption. So thank you, Pastor Todd, for being a wonderful husband. I will say that one of the main reasons, of course, Jesus, mentorship, premarital counseling, all the things I tell the kids that you have to do to make sure you get it right before you say, I do. Make sure you have that solid foundation because it's not about the honeymoon. It's not about the dress. It's about making sure that it's you and Jesus and him. She hears this all the time from me. <laughs> and I want grandkids. She hears it all the time. But I will say that one thing that me and my husband have in common that really I was thankful for, especially in the early years before Meg came back to me, was the fact that we both are without our children. We both have that in common. I said I wasn't going to cry. I keep crying. <laughs> because we could lay in bed and we could just cry. And no one can understand what the loss of a child, like someone that's going through it too. So, next picture, Austin. <laughs> okay, so I talked a little bit about struggles. And just because you do everything Picture perfect, even in recovery. You know, I didn't get one degree. I had to get two degrees because I have to be picture perfect. You know, I can't just go to school. <laughs> I have to go to school, work, and be under clinical supervision, and be pastoral, and anything else I can do. Because I have to be everything. Because everyone has something they deal with, and mine is feeling not good enough because of the shame and guilt of years and years and years. But my dad always believed in me. He always defended me. When he had no business defending me, when my children were told that I didn't love them, my dad said, don't talk to them like that. You know that's not true. He pulled them aside and said, 
You know your mother loves you very much. She's just having a time right now. So I lost my dad four years ago. <laughs> but um, he wasn't healed the way we had hoped, as Pastor Rana told me. But he is healed in heaven. He is Catholic, and that's okay. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I'm glad he found a Jesus of his understanding and that he could finally let go of some of his stuff and understand the relationship with Jesus. So I'm very grateful for my daddy because I'm a daddy's girl and for him always defending me and always loving me. But that doesn't mean that I have to relapse. I have lots of reasons that I've showed you that I can go get high. I miss my son. I miss years with my daughter. I miss my dad. I deal with issues all the time. But I'm not going to let the snake talk me into doing what I know I cannot do. I know that Xanax and pain pills make me feel great until they don't. Until they steal everything from me. Until I'm doing things I thought I'd never do. Just to feel a little bit of that release of that pain. Because what is the dopamine we all crave in today's society? the phones, the affirmations, the likes. It's the dopamine. Because as soon as you get it, you automatically crash to the very bottom and you have to have more. I was thinking about that today as I ate some Oreos at work. <laughs> I had one, and psychology says before you even finish the one, you're already planning to get the next one. And I think that's an amazing picture of addiction. You can be high as a kite. You can have all the clothes. You can have the nicest home, but you're thinking, how can I have more? That's dopamine. That's that feel good, can't have pain. Everything's got to be wonderful or I can't make it. I can't breathe. And that's the addict. That's the one that has the addiction. That's the person that's suffering. They are escaping the pain that they can't seem to let go of. Maybe it's that God loves them, but they don't feel like they're worth God's love. Maybe it's abuse from parents or voices that says your mom doesn't love you. Maybe that's what they're dealing with. Maybe they were abused. But whatever that is, he's in the ear saying, if you do this, it will feel better. For just a second, it will feel better. So I challenge you all, next picture, to know that God does redeem no matter how bad it looks, he redeems. To think about that, don't feel sorry for me. I feel, I've felt sorry for me for years off and on, so don't feel sorry for me. Because I have to remember when I go there that my provider, my Jehovah Jireh, loves me with all of himself. That he says I'm worthy, that he says I'm worth it, that I never can do too much for him to stop loving me. And I just have to tell myself that over and over again. King of kings, Lord of lords, lover of my soul, my redeemer. You never get tired of my junk. You always want me. You always want to hear from me. You always love me. You always take me as I am, and you always want the best for me. I had to talk myself into it and remind myself. So this picture was after a few visits with my kids. Um, this was at the Opryland. Megan had said that she wanted to come to Lee University, which is an amazing story, yes, but it's more amazing that we used to walk our dog there and walk the Lee grounds and pray. 
Lord, let these kids come to God. Let them hear your voice. Let them run to you, Lord. Let them be redeemed. May they serve you all of their days. And if possible, God, <laughs> could she come to Lee? Because I really would like to have her again. I claim her as my child. I want her back. And sometimes that's what we have to do is claim it. Lord, that prodigal is my niece, my nephew, my son, my daughter. You gave them to me as a gift, and I'm claiming them as mine. Me and you, Jesus, Satan, no more. So, next picture. Wow, I've gone really fast. It's only 7.30. (laughs) So, this is a picture at Opryland again at Christmas that we had. And this is me and my husband and Malachi. Isn't he handsome? So, he is 14. And we are trusting God that one day he will be returned just as Megan was. Because God keeps his promises. If it's anything I've learned, when he says he'll do it, he'll do it. When we're denied the home loan, because we pay too much child support of all things, they tell us they can't approve us, they can't do it. God gets us a better home than we can even afford. We don't even know how he did it, but I kept praying, and it's not about me. God, you can move the planets. You spoke the world into existence. Move these numbers. Make it match. It doesn't match, but make it match, Lord. Move your hand and make the numbers match. And surely it happened. They didn't want to let me into school because I have a background. And I said, Lord, if this is where you want me to be and go to church on Sundays and then go to school, then you will open the door. And sure enough, they did it. And now, with Miss Julie, we advocate for people with mental health issues, people with addiction issues, people that have legal issues, and they're in the same spot I was. It wasn't that long ago I was on the other side of the judge's chair being told that, yes, house arrest is for you. You will do this. Um, These are your charges. And today I get to sit with the DA and say, no, I think they're worth it. I think they can come out of this. I know they they failed three urine tests, but I see something in them. Let's give them another shot. Of course, that's not all I do, but I love that part of it. I love sitting with someone that feels they're at their wits end, and they say, I have depression. I have anxiety. I can't stop overtaking my pills. And when Holy Spirit moves me to do so, I say, I know I've been there. And they look at me and say, yeah, right. (laughs) There's no way. And I'm saying, this is because Jesus cleaned me up real good. That doesn't mean I've never had that issue. And just as surely as I sit here with 11 years sober, you can do it too. That's all I have for you guys because I like to talk quick and get it done. You want me to answer questions? Okay, sure.